just when you thought it was safe to go shopping for the Christmas turkey. Mutant Corona. Oh, 2020. Just piss off. It's Tuesday, the 22nd of December, and this is the Hot Topics podcast from MB Medical. Well, welcome back, everyone, and Merry Christmas. It's Neil Tucker here from the Hot Topics podcast. And I had meant to do quite a short one today, just give some kind of upbeat message about how great we're doing with vaccinating and such like. But instead, let's talk about mutant corona, lockdowns, closed borders, cancelled Christmas plans and meat for 16 people that I'm going to have to eat virtually by myself. If I make it into 2021 without heart disease or bowel cancer, I'm going to be absolutely astounded. So let's talk about this variant of SARS-CoV-2. We're also going to have a look at what is in the latest journals. And let's just reflect on how well we're doing with these vaccinations too. So it is a bit like something out of a nightmare, isn't it? Just as we had this glimmer of hope and as GP practices around the country start delivering vaccines to the most vulnerable... Then we get wind of a new variant of coronavirus, which is meant to spread even more easily than the original version. So I'm sure you'll have been all reading about this in the press. I've been interested to see that there's quite a lot of discrepancies in the details between a lot of the uh, major newspapers. And they don't necessarily seem to be giving us all of the facts. So I'm going to use New Scientist as probably one of the most reliable sources that we can have. So compared with the original SARS-CoV-2, this new version entitled B117 has 17 different mutations, eight of which change the shape of this outer spike protein. The fact that the virus has mutated is not a surprise. In fact, it's quite remarkable that coronavirus seems to be a relatively stable virus compared with something like flu. But what was a surprise for scientists was that there were so many mutations within a single virus. Now, contrary to what the mainstream media may have us believe, this virus is actually not new. It was first identified here in the UK in late September. But it's only now that scientists have started paying more attention because it's been associated with this rapid growth of cases throughout um, London and the southeast of England. Because it's been around so long, actually, it has already been identified in other countries. So it's perhaps a bit of a surprise that there's been such a strong response from other countries around the world because it's been reported in Denmark and Australia, possibly Belgium, Italy and the Netherlands as well. But the world's experience of the summer where a strain that's thought to have originated in Spain then rapidly spread around Europe, probably linked to all the travel from summer holidays rather than any actual inherent increase in transmissibility. Uh, But still that hangs heavy in people's memories. Speaking of transmissibility, then again, I've heard a lot of statistics around how much more transmissible this new strain seems to be than the original coronavirus that we've had in the UK for the last nine months. And the latest report is that it seems to be about 50% more likely to be passed on. It doesn't appear to be more dangerous. They think that all the vaccines that have been produced are still going to be effective against it. But it does appear to spread more easily. And part of that may be because children are thought to be more susceptible. 
Now, this is still somewhat speculative and clearly more work needs to be done in this area to confirm that this is actually the case. But it is it is quite troubling, especially for those of us who have children. I've been absolutely amazed over the the course of this pandemic that children seem to be so infrequently affected. I've got a six-year-old in the local primary school. They've had one case in a child and they've had one case in a teacher. And remarkably, with those cases, there seem to be no other spread amongst any of the other children. In the nursery that my three-year-old goes to, they've had absolutely zero cases whatsoever. We just haven't seen the outbreaks that we've seen in older children. So in secondary schools, in universities, in factories and so uh, care homes, of course, and so forth. And this is entirely anecdotal, but I wonder if it may be indicative of what we've been seeing over the last month in the southeast, because one of the GPs at my wife's practice uh, has uh, just been diagnosed with coronavirus. She's caught it off of her young son, who's at, at primary school. And in her child's class, the teacher had been diagnosed with coronavirus, went off ill, and then subsequently most of the children in the class had been diagnosed with COVID. Now, they're not particularly unwell, of course. They're, they have the same type of COVID that young children get, which is generally very mild. But the difference is, and the concern is, that these children then seem to be passing it on to other people around them, whereas in, in the past... This doesn't seem to be the case. There seems to be very little transmission from children to adults. Given the fact that everyone's been planning to get together finally over Christmas with a relaxing of restrictions, all of a sudden this seems like a very, very dangerous thing to do. So sure, lockdowns suck. Being unable to see the family that you were hoping to see over Christmas, that sucks. But it doesn't suck as much as Granny getting coronavirus just weeks away from when she might actually be getting a vaccine. So now's not the time for us to become complacent. Uh, now is not the time for us to give up. Now is the time for us just to hold firm. And I don't know if this is just where I live, but I have seen that people are quite resolute about this. They now do have the mindset that, um, that the end could be in sight and we just need to hold on a little bit more that they can do this, that we can hold Christmas in February or March or Easter, whatever it may be. We've just got to deal with this little bump in the road. Speaking of roads, I feel very sorry for the 2,000 or so lorry drivers that are stuck near Kent at the moment, desperately trying to get home for Christmas. And of course, the worry is that this will affect supply chains. I've already heard that there may be an impending lettuce shortage. I'm hoping that this is not just the tip of the iceberg. My advice, remain positive. Thanks to Duncan for the lettuce jokes. Uh, he certainly has sent through a couple of little gems. And I think now it's time to talk about something much more positive. So let's talk about the success of many practices around the country in delivering the coronavirus vaccine over the last couple of weeks. Now, I know not every practice has signed up to do this around the country. And I think given all the logistical problems and the financial implications, the workforce issues, the general tiredness of primary care after a nine month slog, I think that's very reasonable. And I have to say, having read through all of the training material, the Green Book chapter on COVID and the rest, 
I wasn't completely convinced that primary care was going to be able to do this and we shouldn't have to be the people who are delivering it. However, many practices around the country have made a fantastic job of this and have successfully managed to deliver the vaccine to thousands of their at-risk patients, which is absolutely astounding. And as this new variant of virus circles the country, I know that that's going to provide a huge amount of reassurance both to those patients who are at highest risk and to their families as well. Speaking to some of those who have been giving out the vaccines to their patients over the last couple of weeks, do you know what? Despite the hard work, despite the extra hours, I think they're just really happy to be able to help, to feel like they're doing something really meaningful in this pandemic that's going to make a big difference to a lot of patients and possibly save a lot of lives as well. For all of those reasons, it's particularly disappointing for our practice because of some technical error. We haven't had the vaccine and we probably won't be getting it till January now. At least for those of you who have had it, it's good news that we can actually use the extra vaccine in the vials. Um, so you can now use six doses instead of five out of a vial so we don't have to waste that product, which always seemed like a very odd recommendation from the start. As a result of this, one of the local practices to us has now got 20% extra and having finished off all their over 80s, offered it out to local healthcare professionals as well. So I had the vaccine yesterday. My arm is a bit sore today. Otherwise, I feel completely fine. I am feeling a little bit guilty that I've got the vaccine when my patients at my own practice haven't had access to it. But on the other hand, we do need to remember that protecting the healthcare workforce is one of the most important things you can do in a pandemic because if they go down, then everyone else is in trouble. It's like putting the oxygen mask on when the plane is crashing before you sort out those around you. So a big thanks to Observatory Practice and their PCN for being so efficient, so helpful and so kind yesterday. All of your staff were excellent. Now, let's have a little look at what the journals have been saying over the last week. So, um, JAMA, no, too depressing. New England Journal of Medicine, well, more about coronavirus, too depressing. The Lancet, well, they have published some interesting research on the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, which, to cut a long story short, basically shows that it works as well in the over 70s as it does in younger people. So, that is good news. But I think probably as ever at Christmas, attention needs to turn to the BMJ because this is where we actually finally get some lighthearted relief. And call me sad, but I do love a Christmas BMJ. So, of course, there's a lot of reflective talk about 2020 and the pandemic. But there was one really standout paper for me, and that was on the use of clowns in hospital. So this paper was a systematic review of randomised and non-randomised controlled trials on the effectiveness of hospital clowns for symptom management in paediatrics. What was amazing about this for me was that they found 24 studies meeting the inclusion criteria. There were, tw there were 13 randomised controlled trials of clowns. Now, I have to say, if I saw a clown walking around an adult part of the hospital, I'd start feeling pretty scared. I'd have flashbacks to reading Stephen King's It as an adolescent, which really, really ruined clowns for me at a relatively young age. And I would assume that only death and misery could follow. 
However, of course, children do not have these biases, although it is fair to say that there was quite a lot of biases reported in the trials themselves. But nevertheless, they found that children and adolescents who were in the presence of hospital clowns had less anxiety for a range of medical procedures, as well as improved psychological adjustments and chronic conditions showed favourable results. What are the implications here? Well, I first thought that perhaps this meant we should be sending our kids to McDonald's more. Let's be honest, Ronald's had a pretty bad rep over the last couple of decades. I did dismiss that as a, as a sensible path forwards. But then I suddenly started thinking, maybe we do need to start having more fun in GP surgeries. Perhaps we could get jesters in the waiting rooms. Maybe for our flu and our COVID vaccine clinics, we could have magicians and comedians to entertain people whilst they were there. Maybe that might even improve the immunogenicity of these treatments. You just never know. One thing is clear, in a world where we felt like there's been a lot of darkness over the last year, we all deserve a little bit more fun and we all know that actually people who are happy are healthier too. So what can we be happy about as we head into Christmas and then the new year? Many of us might be in lockdown, many of you might have coronavirus, this new variant as we speak. But there are lots of reasons to be positive, particularly about general practice. We are at the forefront of delivering the most important treatment for coronavirus in the form of vaccines. And we will be doing genuinely meaningful work. We will be genuinely saving lives. Our patients will be genuinely extraordinarily grateful to us and this is something that hospitals let alone other government agencies would be desperately struggling to deliver to such a large number of people and we can also be happy that throughout 2020 primary care has had a significant part to play in helping the population through this pandemic we have remained open we have remained accessible possibly even more accessible than ever even if it's not necessarily face-to-face, and we've somehow coped with record demand for our services. So I hope you get a few days off over Christmas. I hope you manage to rest. And I hope as you are opening those presents, maybe you're having that little glass of sherry, and you think about what you've done this year, it doesn't matter that you haven't been manning the ventilators or doing a night shift in A&E resus. Some of the most important work, some of the most life-saving work has only just begun and you're going to be the ones delivering it. Okay, well, I think that's enough from me. It turns out I've talked as much as I always talk. Now, a quick shout out. So I had the pleasure of meeting a, a guy called Daniel Butler, who is a GP trainee in Northern Ireland last week. And he and a few friends put together the Jolly GP Trainee podcast. They've been doing this for the last year. They interview GPs to talk about their experiences of the profession. So if you do have trainees or you are a trainee or you just fancy a lighthearted listen to what some of your colleagues have been getting up to, then do check out the podcast. It's really, really good. And as ever, please do get in touch with me. So Facebook or Twitter, search for MB Medical or you can email hottopics at nbmedical.com. And all things being well, I'll be back in January with the next podcast. We've got a few interviews lined up with some really interesting people, including Terry Kempel from the RCGP, who set up the Green Impact for Health Toolkit, talking about why environmental concerns directly impacts on our patients and our practice. But until then, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, 
and bye-bye.